Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. In the NOCO is supported by Blue Federal Credit Union, with locations from Denver to Cheyenne, helping members tap into the power of community. More information at bluefcu.com. Today on KUNC's Colorado Edition. Several cities in Colorado are declaring housing emergencies as high costs push out their essential workers. Many are passing taxes to address the issue, but some say that won't be enough. We'll hear what state lawmakers are doing to tackle the housing crisis in just a bit. But first, we're going to talk about the ridiculously cute, fuzzy, gentle animals that are taking over the National Western Complex this weekend. It's Friday, April 29th. I'm Erin O'Toole, and this is Colorado Edition from KUNC. When we think about the most adorable animals in the world, alpacas are probably high on the list. At least they are for me. I met my first alpaca in the summer of 2001 when I traveled with a friend to Peru to hike the Inca Trail. We saw lots of people shepherding small flocks of alpaca up and down the trails. Many had decorated their alpaca's pointy ears with these cute, colorful yarn tassels. Now, if you're not familiar, alpacas are a lot like llamas, but smaller and, I would argue, cuter, with big endearing smiles and these impossibly long eyelashes. Plus, they are super fluffy. And because of that soft, luxurious fur, alpacas have been imported from South America since 1984. There's lots of love for alpacas here in Colorado. Ranchers raise them and sell their fiber for use in sweaters, socks, even bedding. If you want to see an alpaca up close for yourself, you can this weekend when hundreds of alpacas are expected to flock to the National Western Complex in Denver for the Great Western Alpaca Show that runs through Sunday. Jennifer Hack is the owner and founder of Triple H Ranch in Sedalia. That's a small town in the foothills about 30 miles south of Denver. She's been raising a breed known as Surrey alpaca there since 2013, and she'll be showcasing some of her animals at this weekend's event. I reached her at the stock show grounds as she was setting up. Jennifer, thank you so much for talking with me. My pleasure. What made you decide to get into raising alpaca versus some other type of livestock? Uh, well, there were a lot of uh, thought that went into it. Part of it is um, I can't raise animals that are going to go for slaughter. <laughs> I just, I get too attached. Um, it's a, you know, a fault of mine. But I understand that. Yeah. <laughs> Alpaca are one of the few that actually they, there is not um, a terminal market right now for them. And it, it's something that some breeders, and, and I can certainly see the need for it, um, eventually, but, uh, thankfully right now there is not a terminal market for it. So, you know, they're, they're raised specifically for their fleece. Well, this would be a good time for a brief explanation of how the alpaca market works. I know they're valued for their fiber. How do ranchers like yourself make a living from alpaca herds? Yeah, well, so there's, there's many different streams, actually, of revenue in raising um, alpaca, any livestock, but alpaca specifically. It is, like I said, they are raised primarily for their fleece. Um, 
some of us like myself and, and some other larger ranches in Colorado, we, we also raise what are called seed stock. And those are the animals that are a little bit more valued. Um, you know, they've, they've done very well at shows. They have both the confirmation as well as the fleece characteristics that we're looking for and making, you know, all the beautiful products that they can make. But you can, anything from, you know, four animals as a fiber herd that you want to spin your yarn yourself to there's people across the country that have their own mill and their own knitting machines and, you know, have just made a huge business out of it. So it's really what you want to do and what you're comfortable with. For those of us who haven't had the pleasure of feeling it, can you describe what a garment or an item made from alpaca fleece feels like? Well, it's incredibly soft. Um, we don't have the like wool everybody thinks of as prickly, and that's because it's got little scales that come off of each individual fiber. Um, alpaca does not have that. So there isn't that prickle factor when you deal with alpaca. And especially, you know, we've been breeding them for 30 years in the U.S. now and improving the fineness of all of our herds. Um, and the two different kinds are Surrey and Wakaya. So Surrey feels more silky and has more of a drape, whereas Wakaya, it, it still has that incredible soft feel, but it's a warmer fleece. Yeah, just started to get a little bit itchy there when you were talking about wool. <laughs> yeah, so we don't call it wool. <laughs> okay, yeah, just, just so we're clear. Well, I want to talk a bit about the market and the infamous alpaca bubble. In 2006, there were a lot of alpacas. There were around 85,000 alpacas registered in the U.S. And as sometimes happens in other industries, there was an alpaca boom in the early 2000s. That was followed by a bust. What happened? Um, honestly, it's a lot of what happened to pretty much every industry, you know, around 2008 when the recession hit and um, prices for everything dropped to simply because people couldn't afford to feed them, couldn't afford the property they were on anymore. It was just, it was a difficult time really for the entire country. And, and so it's been slowly building back, but you know, the, the industry now I think is pretty strong and, and we just continue to grow. Yeah, you know, in reading about it, it almost sounds like there were just a lot of people being sold this kind of idealized vision of a retired lifestyle or a semi-retired lifestyle where you could just wake up and have coffee and go out in your backyard and tend to your herd of alpaca. But it sounds like it was a, a bit more complicated and a bit more difficult than that. Well, yeah, I mean, it's they're, they're a livestock. So there's, you know, what comes with raising any livestock. You have to feed them twice a day and clean up after them and watch their health and, you know, know the individual personality of each animal so you can tell when, if there's a problem or not. So it's, it's certainly not that easy. I mean, as far as animals go, alpacas are easier on the land, which was part of what brought me also to them. You know, they have pads on their feet, so they don't tear up the ground like other hoofed animals do. They're pretty easy on fencing. Um, you know, the, so as far as that goes, they're, they're relatively easy, but it's, it's still work. Jennifer, you got into the alpaca business in 2013, kind of after this bubble had burst. Did you have any qualms about it? And did, did that shape your approach getting into, into alpacas? Um, no, honestly, I was really excited to get in, get involved. Um, 
you know, I did a lot of research on them beforehand and it helped as well that I had other livestock knowledge. So I understood their needs as far as being a herd animal and I understood the nutrition and their conformation. So for me, it was actually, it was a pretty simple transition. What's the state of the industry right now for people who want to raise alpaca or who want to breed alpaca? Have things recovered? Yeah, I think um, actually things right now are looking really positive. There have been a couple national auctions this year that see the seed stock animals that I was talking about earlier selling, you know, back up to um, getting closer to where they used to be price-wise, which of course helps the breeders that are doing it and Um, But at the same time, there's still those fiber animals out there that if people want to have, like I said, a small herd, um, it's enabling them to be able to do that relatively easy. Right. Well, let's talk about the convention this weekend, the Alpaca Breeders of the Rockies Great Western Alpaca Show. First of all, what can fans or alpaca enthusiasts expect to see? Well, so there's a lot to see, actually. The the we have, of course, our regular halter competition, which um, the alpacas are judged on 50% confirmation and 50% fleece quality. Um, and there's several characteristics for the different breeds that go into that. And could you just briefly explain what you mean by confirmation? Um, yeah, so confirmation is, is how the animal is put together. And so what they're looking at or looking for is they want to see a square body, so their back is the same length as their legs and the same length as their neck. Um, so they're nice and balanced and they want a straight back. You know, they look at the quality of the head. Um, is it too long? Does it make it difficult? Because that can make it difficult to breathe. Or is it too short? Because that can have the same problem. They look at their bite to make sure that they can eat properly. Because um, obviously that's very important, you know, and, and tail set and, um, yeah, so just there's there's a lot that go into it, and what confirmation is important because if you don't have a sound animal, they tend to have a lot more health issues. Mm, that makes sense. And then as far as judging the fleece, I mean, do the judges just sort of get in there with their hands and feel for how fluffy and luxurious it is? How does that work? But yeah, so they part the fleece, and so they can see what it looks like down by the skin, and. Wakaya, they're looking, they Wakaya have what's called a crimp. So it kind of looks like, you know, how women used to do their hair in the 80s. <laughs> yes, the crimping iron. I may or may not have owned several when I was in eighth grade. Yeah, exactly. Yep. It looks kind of like that, but a lot smaller. Um, so they want to look for uniformity of that. They look for how fine the fleece is, and they'll actually take a small sample of the fleece and put it on their arm so they can compare it to the other animals in the class. They look for brightness. Um, and density. So how much fleece is that animal actually putting on their body? Uh, And every animal is different. So obviously that's our harvest is their fleece. So we want more follicles, hair follicles per inch, the better, because that gets us more fleece when we harvest it. Now, does anyone measure specifically the length of the eyelashes? No. I had to ask. It's one of the things that stands out to me personally the most when I see an alpaca face. Yeah. And there are some that have really long eyelashes. (laughs) All right. And of course, one of the highlights for many people who are going this weekend is the chance to get a selfie with an alpaca. Is there any alpaca photo etiquette we should know beforehand? I guess in other words, they are sometimes known for spitting. How do we not get spit on? 
Well, so first, alpaca don't generally spit at people. If they're going to spit, it's because they're arguing with each other over food or sometimes the mature males, which there are very few of at the show. We only bring the calm ones when they're mature. Um, the mature males will spit at each other. But I mean, it can happen. It's just very rare. So, um, but as far as, you know, being around them and touching them, they don't, unlike a dog, they don't like to be touched on the top of the head. So if people are going to come and, you know, want to touch the animals, I mean, the selfie booth, obviously they can get in there and put their arm around them. And, and they're much, they're, they're very calm animals. They're used to being around people and, you know, they, they're good with having their neck pet. And sometimes some of them like to have under their chin scratched, um, that type of thing, but not because they're a prey animal and they can't see what's on top of their head. So that, that's why they don't like having the top of their head. Pet. All right. Good to know. That's very helpful. Last question. I just want to wrap up for anyone who's maybe thinking about getting into the alpaca industry. What do you love the most about it? Well, there's a couple. One, they're they're just very calming animals. You know, if, if you've had a, or if I've had a hard day and, you know, I, I love my horses and I have a very different relationship with my horses, but my alpaca just seem to help you get centered and, and help you relax after a difficult day. But the other thing that I've found um, is that the people in this industry are just honestly amazing people and, and very welcoming and very helpful. It doesn't matter if they're a competitor or or what. If, if somebody needs help, they're going to give it. Sounds like a real community. It is. It, it's really, uh, a lot of people like to call it a lifestyle. <laughs> Living the alpaca lifestyle. Jennifer Hack is the owner and founder of Triple H Ranch in Sedalia. Thank you so much for talking with me and best of luck this weekend. Thank you. The Great Western Alpaca Show runs through this Sunday in Denver. It is free, although there's a cost for parking. You can find the details and a whole bunch of alpaca photos at KUNC.org. You'll find links in today's show notes. And a couple of other things to be aware of today. A man in Colorado has tested positive for avian influenza, that's also known as bird flu. It's the first human case identified in the U.S. for this recent outbreak. State health officials say the man works in a poultry farm in Montrose County and that the virus is not likely to spread from person to person. And a new report this week from the Apartment Association of Metro Denver finds that the apartment vacancy rate in the metro area is at a historic low of just over 4%. That low vacancy rate, along with high demand for housing along the Front Range, just illustrates how incredibly difficult it is to find a place to live in Colorado right now. And some communities are starting to change because of it. KUNC's Scott Franz takes us to a town on the front lines of the housing crisis and reports on how state lawmakers are planning to help. Steamboat Springs is a ski town on the Yampa River where ranchers, ski bums, and millionaires will often mingle at the same bar. And locals say they cherish this diversity. But even before the pandemic hit, housing was getting more expensive. And Jason Peasley says things were changing. We had, we had people living in tents up on Buff Pass, multiple families living in, in units. 
really a lot of overcrowding situations and, and people just finding whatever they could find. Peasley is the director of the Yampa Valley Housing Authority. Last summer, he took me to watch a potential solution rising out of the ground. In front of us, a dozen carpenters are busy building an apartment complex on the west side of town. He says these 90 units will house firefighters, teachers, and other middle-income workers when it opens later this year. There's going to be a lot of interest. It's going to be a very intense lease-up process with lots of people interested in, in living here, given how short we are on housing supply. But it's taken more than four years to get here, and Peasley says this new apartment complex is not going to solve the town's housing crisis. A study done six years ago estimated the city needed 1,000 more units, and this was all before many condos became Airbnbs. The increase in demand and the reduction in supply because of you know units turning over to other uses um, has, I think, put us even further behind. Um, and so, you know, we're, we're out there trying to figure out how can we build the next 90 unit project. State lawmakers say they can help. They're advancing several measures this month to spend about $400 million of coronavirus relief money on affordable housing initiatives. One invests in companies making modular and tiny homes. Another gives cities tens of millions to build more developments like the one in Steamboat. Despite everything we are doing right now, we need to do more. Tamara Pogue is a commissioner in Summit County, another resort area with a housing crisis. She advised lawmakers on how to spend the affordable housing money. She says many Coloradans are running out of time. The mom of one of my daughter's best friends called. She's a teacher, her husband is a property manager, and she said, we, we're done. We can't do this anymore. We're moving to Fort Collins. And for me, it's sort of the proverbial straw that breaks the camel's back. And behind these tough stories are some tough facts. Home prices have nearly doubled in the state over the last decade. Rents in mountain towns jumped 20 to 40 percent last year, and the state says it needs to build 225,000 units to meet the demand. Governor Jared Polis says the bills lawmakers are passing will help get there. It will help create a, a zoning landscape, prefab technology that will uh, help lead to hundreds of thousands of additional units. Many cities are not waiting for state lawmakers to deliver. Voters in mountain towns from Frisco to Leadville passed new taxes on short-term rentals to generate money for long-term housing. Cities also successfully lobbied the legislature to let them spend lodging tax money they collect from tourists on housing and childcare. Back in Steamboat, the Housing Authority is eyeing an even bigger project on ranch land on the west side of town. And lawmakers say the new money about to pour in later this year could help the city install water pipes and other basic infrastructure more quickly. Each project is important, Peasley says, no matter how long they take. Children that, that are born here and they're young and I want them to have an opportunity to live here if they choose to. Who knows if they will, but if I want that to be an option for them in the future, and, and I don't want this community to become a homogeny of people who just happen to have so much money that they can live wherever they want. Five affordable housing bills are still on track to reach the governor's desk as soon as this month, but the money won't start flowing in until later this year, and it could take many more years before projects start to take shape. I'm Scott Franz at the State Capitol.
That's it for today on Colorado Edition. Our executive producer is Sean Corcoran. Digital editing is handled by Ashley Jeffcoat. And I'm Erin O'Toole. Thank you so much for listening today. I'll be back next week with more of what's happening around Northern Colorado. Have a great weekend.